Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. God's people make a difference in this world. His saving grace is at work, particularly in the followers of Jesus. I grumble a certain amount of the time about the lectionary choices. There are places where I really wonder about why they break things up the way they do, especially why things get pulled out of context, why some verses are skipped over. Sometimes it makes sense, and other times it just confounds me. Today is one of those. Why do we pick up Isaiah where we do? Why do we skip over the first part of chapter 58? Why do we set it up so that we actually have to change the grammar? What was a question becomes a statement. I want to read you the first part of the chapter because there's a reason that God is responding the way that he does through the prophet and I think it's important to know what's going on at that time. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel, to fight, and to hit with wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it to bow down the head like a rush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The people have been grumbling before God, before the prophet, complaining that they're doing all the things that he told them to do. They're fasting, they're praying, they're observing the feasts and the festivals, they're making the sacrifices, but God isn't paying attention, which usually means he's not doing what they ask of him. He's not doing what they tell him he needs to do. We've got kind of that line in there that in the day of, of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers relationship with the pagan deities and we speak a lot about the propitiation of the gods you keep them happy so that at best they will give you the things that you want they'll give you the blessings at least they won't hurt you if you keep them happy if you keep them satisfied whenever they get to treating god in such fashion he gets somewhat put out with them but more than that they say that they're fasting this is a fast For God, it's what he asks of them. But what happens when they fast? He says, you get irritable because you're doing without food and it bothers you, so you oppress your workers. You fight with each other. You strike with the fist. Is that what I asked you to do? 
is the fasting about yourselves? Because when you fast, all you think about are yourselves. Okay, you didn't hear all of that in what I just read. Again, this is my interpretation. But that sense that your fast is making you self-centered. Is that what fasting is about? That you do without bread so that you think about your own lack and maybe how great you are for making this sacrifice to God. And he really ought to do something for you. Is not this the fast that I choose? That you actually loose the bonds of wickedness. That you let go of yourselves and start to think about others. That you actually concern yourselves not with your will, but with my will. So you don't just do without bread because you think that that's a worthy thing before God, but that you look at those around you and you see those who are hungry, you do without your bread because you're sharing it with them. You do without some of your comfort because you're bringing the homeless into your home. You do without some of the things that you value in your time and in other resources because you're looking at the needs around you and you're sharing with others. Because when you do that, you're seeking my will, not your own. And then he goes on to promise, as we did here in our, our reading, that then your light will dawn. Then, then you'll call the Lord and you'll say, here I am. I'll be close to you, but it's not that I'm coming at your beck and call then, but I'm coming to enable you to do what I've called you to do. If you do the things I tell you to do, if you really put your heart into that, you'll find me filling your heart and you'll be given the resources. Your light will go forth. That's kind of where that passage goes on. Um, It's not now just that you will have light, but you will be a light. You will be a light for others. The fast is not first about you. It's about making you your lives available to me, that I might work through you. And it's a blessing then. You'll be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Then we pick up things in the Sermon on the Mount. And we hear Jesus saying to his disciples, intriguing the language. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, this is what you're supposed to be. This is what you could be if you did things right, but this is what you are. This is what I've given you when we come to Jesus, when we're baptized into him, when we're reconciled with him. Well, he gives us the light of his Holy Spirit. He takes up residence. His light is shining in us. We become his salt. But it's noted that we can do things that inhibit the effectiveness of that. These gifts are given, but they're given to us for a purpose. The salt. Strange thought. The salt could lose its saltiness. Salt is not one of those things that just is really kind of in itself. Salt enhances other things. We all know about it for its taste in foods. I don't know if any of you are on salt-restricted diets or whatever, and Well, if you are, you probably noticed what it was like to suddenly not have salt in your food. It doesn't just have its own taste, but it affects other tastes. It is a really important element in a lot of cooking. 
people often argue about whether or not it makes a difference in boiling water and when you're cooking pasta or something, it's supposed to affect the boiling point, it's supposed to help with the cooking, but some have said, well, you'd have to put a lot more salt in for it really to make a huge difference. I don't know. My mom always used to put some salt in the coffee when she was making it in the percolator. To It was supposed to curb the bitterness a little bit. And I can tell you a story sometime about that one in my own life, but not for now. In baking, I know it in baking. I like to bake bread. And it definitely has its effect. It is possible to do breads without salt. Well, you can do without all kinds of things. You can do without the wheat flour, but it's not the same thing. If you do non-gluten breads, you know that you need the gluten for the normal rising and you've got to do something else. The salt works with the yeast in the bread. You're not really aware of that. It, it kind of moderates the rising effect of the yeast. If you don't have the salt there, the yeast can rise kind of out of control and what you end up with is really kind of insipid flavoring, but it's, it's, it doesn't go as it ought. The, the salt balances that and things rise more evenly, more regularly. There's a fuller flavor. It actually, in doing French breads and things, the salt helps it, the crust to brown more evenly as well. Salt works with other things. That's the idea. It it has an effect. It's there for a purpose. We know that in the ancient world, it was also used as a preservative without having refrigerators and things. The salting and drying of meats, especially fish, was an important part of having the foodstuffs. If you've been around the last couple of days in Ottawa, as the temperatures have gone down, you're reminded that the salt gets used in our winters to melt ice. And some will grumble, of course, but it also in, enhances the rust buildup under the cars and things, and that's part of our part of the world. In all of that, the salt is doing its part, being effective on other things. We have some understanding that being the salt of the earth, there's an idea that there is a preservation against the corruption that there is there. There's to be a positive effect on the world around us. How can salt lose its taste? Well, it's rock salt that we use on the ice. And you might have in mind that if it gets saturated with water, that, that so the saltiness can leak out, leach out of it and make it un, ineffective. You're the light of the world. What's the purpose of the light? Well, everything Jesus is saying about the light is that it gives light to others. You don't light the candle to hide it. The light is there, but of course in the church, if we cover all the windows over, no light gets out. If the windows are dirty, the light doesn't show forth. Pretty easy to see that one in terms, especially at this point in the year, in terms of the need for confession, the need for being made right with God, to take away the things that keep the light from shining. On the one hand, he speaks about lighting the candle and not putting it under things, but up on the stand where it gives light to the house. We can think first about giving light to the others within the household of faith, within the church. But he also speaks about the city on the hill. 
And it's not that many weeks ago that we were thinking about Isaiah 60 and those words that are in the Surge Illuminare canticle that we have in morning prayer. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Where it's the picture of the holy city set up. And the light of God streaming out and not just giving light to God's people, but drawing in the nations of the earth to the things of the Lord. Of course, the last book of the Bible sets up the holy city, the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ. There's the church made perfect. There's the whole new creation. The light is to go forth. The light is to be not just for the church, certainly not just for us, but to give light for others. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You think about the things as, as we move towards Lent. is a really good time to be thinking about the things in our lives that keep us from being the salt that we're meant to be, being the light that we're intended to be, being so filled with that light ourselves that we can't help but shine and draw others to Christ. There is one other part to it, of course. At the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus was talking about that effect that those seeking righteousness is going to have, those who are his own, that there will be persecution that follows. Salt is a wonderful thing working in all kinds of ways, but if you've got a cut and you rub salt into the wound, well, it can sting a lot. And sometimes to be salty in the most positive way. I know if I talk about somebody's language being pretty salty, it doesn't usually mean it's uplifting. Um, means a little coarse. Well, we're supposed to be maybe fine ground salt. Um, but if we are being that kind of salt, there are those who will be irritated and there will be at times some even violent reactions. We've spoken of at other times about the light going forth. Many welcome that light. But there are those who are hiding in the darkness who don't want to be exposed. And there will be responses. There will be reactions. There will be opposition. At times, quite violent. All the more important that our focus be upon the Lord Himself. That the light that we're walking in, the light that we're drawing upon, the light that is filling us, be His light. And then we're reminded that He is that light that shines in the darkness, that the darkness cannot comprehend, cannot overcome, cannot put out. And again, it's not about us and about us getting our will, it's about His will being done. Don't we pray for that all the time? Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want that life and that light to be at work in us and through us. The world needs salt and light. I mean, more and more all the time as we see the concerns that we have, more and more important that we not give way to despair, but that we draw near to Christ, that we be what we've been created to be that we grow up in that fullness as you go on in the Sermon on the Mount as we will in weeks to come. Jesus will talk then about what it means to embrace that law of God in our hearts, to be caught up with His will, 
to grow up as true sons and daughters in his likeness. Again, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are called to be effectively what we are in him. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world.